The man I have the privilege this morning to introduce to you, Brother Jerry Sulling, has throughout his life devoted his life to either preaching the gospel or teaching others to preach the gospel. I don't know the details. I didn't ask him for a bow before we got up here, but I know that as long as I've known him, he has been conducting preaching schools, mostly over in Africa and late in later years over in the United States. And we're very grateful to have Brother Sullins come to us this morning and speak to us. And if you will be back at 2 p.m. this afternoon for our afternoon services, he's going to bring us an update on all of his work, some of which we support and some of which we are a part of. And he will be giving us a full update and you can find out all the details. So you have to be back at two this afternoon. But for now, we're gonna have Brother Sullins come and speak to us and give us our message of the hour. Well, it's certainly a pleasure to be with you today. It's great being in Olive Branch. It feels like the second home. I can't really say it's the first home because we were born and raised in Memphis, both Edith and myself. So we've been here for many, many years, in and out, especially since we were about 20 years old. It's been mostly just coming in every once in a while. But hey, it's great to be here. I see that this auditorium is almost full, and that's wonderful. I've heard, and you know, the, the record is, and what I've heard from others is that the congregation here is not only growing physically, that is in number, but you're growing spiritually, which is so important. We thank Brother Mike Hickson and also the elders of this congregation for their dedication to the cause of Christ. And although we may not meet with you every Sunday and every Sunday night and Wednesday night, we still are a part of the body of Christ. And it's a great encouragement for us to know of you and your great work for the Lord in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Well, I wanted to say also thank you if you'll bear with me just for a few moments before we get into God's word. I, want, I wanted to thank this congregation for your continual support throughout the years. I look back, or at least I thought back, and I discussed it with Ray, my son, whom you supported in the work in Zimbabwe and Zambia several years ago, and also he was with the Truth for the World. I think many of you know Ray and his family. I'm happy to say that Ray's been in the work there in Springfield, Missouri for about 14 years. And we established a school up there, a preacher training school in 2003, called the Bible Institute of Missouri. And last year, you helped support one of our grandsons. In fact, our oldest grandson, Ethan Young, you started about three years ago. He's graduated and now is in a local work in Missouri and getting into another work in Missouri. And also, I'm happy to say that Ray's son, my grandson, or our grandson, Trey is now at that school. We have four students who are training there. We have four more coming in in August. It looks like we're beginning to be known around the brotherhood and others are seeking to come to be with us. And I want to say to these young men here, there is an alternative. And that is the Bible Institute of Missouri. We have a full teaching staff. We have a new building. And we're into it until the Lord comes again, and we're going to train faithful gospel preachers just like they do at Memphis School of Preaching. And so we're so happy that we have the opportunity to be here and to also present an update on the work in Zambia as well as an exciting thing that's taking place in Uganda. I know that you'll be very happy to hear about the work in East Africa. Also, I'll tell you a little bit about the work in West Africa 
that's going on. So the work of training gospel preachers, as a brother said, has been going on for many years and it's continuing to go on in a great way. So I'll have a PowerPoint. I will use this this afternoon. But uh, normally I don't use it when I preach. I just use a printed page. <laughs> they bought me an iPad. I think you young people know what I'm talking about. I'm not, I may not even be calling it right, but it's one of those big ones. And uh, they bought it for me last Christmas, and uh, guess when I fired it up? This Christmas. <laughs> it's just lying there in my drawer. I do have a cell phone, so I am a little bit knowledgeable, even though you may think, you know, these young people, when you got gray hair, they don't think you're up to date at all <laughs> on anything. That's okay. Isn't it wonderful to see these young people here? I tell you what, that's an encouragement. I was just telling my sister, Patsy DeShields, who, by the way, lives in Memphis. I was just telling her, I looked over there and I saw those young people. I said, man, what a great blessing. So I want to encourage you young people. Hey, you're a great encouragement to us to be here faithful. And I can look into your eyes and I can see that you're dedicated to doing what you're doing. And don't ever let God down. Just keep faithful to him. And some of you may be wavering a little bit. Come back. And make sure that you take care of the most important thing in your life, and that is your relationship to God. Hey, we're living in a terrible world. You might say, oh, really? Yeah, I was saying that. Oh, there's a lot of good things in this world, but this world is in trouble. Deep trouble. About every week, and sometimes more than once a week, I hear other people tell, saying this to me. Well, we're in serious trouble in the United States of America. We're in ser serious trouble throughout the world. This disease that's going on in our nation, which is basically sin, and a rejection of God's will is something that's going on all over this world. And we have to be even more diligent in understanding what is taking place. I mean, when, back when I was a young person, we talked about godless atheism, and it was sort of something that was, well, out there somewhere, but it didn't really affect us that much. Then we began to have our minds changed through a system that's called secular humanism. 1937, the first humanist manifesto. 1977, the second humanist manifesto. 1940, the American Humanist Association. All of these things began to attack us, and not just us, because the humanist manifesto was something that the world made up. And they wanted this country to be a part of that. And our country has become a big part of that. Why do we look and we hear with amazement, we consider the fact of what's going on that uh, our grandchildren said something today that I've never heard before. Our school stood for something today that they should not have stood for because that's against the, the law of Christ. That's against even pure logic. Our children are being taught basically everything that has to do with the world and nothing that has to do with Christ. Nothing that has to do with God's word and what God's will is for them. We are excluded from the scene at school while else, while else in this, its place is put humanism and every other kind of religion that man has to offer mankind. We're in trouble. And then there's that problem of materialism. You say, well, that's not such a big problem. You, do you realize, I heard the other day, and if I get this wrong by two percentage points, don't feel bad, or you can tell me later, okay? 
It was three to five. Three to five percent of the population of the world lives under us economically. That is, when you put together whatever is taking place here in the United States economically, we are in the, the top three to five percent of the wealthiest people on the face of this earth. And you know what that means? We're dealing with materialism in a big way. You think that's something new? No, I heard a long time ago in the 60s when I was at one of the Brotherhood Universities that the biggest threat to all Christians in that day and time, guess what they said? They said materialism. And as we sit in our padded pews in this nice place, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that, that there's something wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that every one of us, I don't care what your age is, whether you're young or whether you're old, are dealing with the same problem. And you know what all of these things have done to us and even more things? They've robbed us of our joy. The world is frantic frantically looking for something to give them hope, whereas all we see is despair. We see idolatry. We see immorality. We see other sins of the flesh resulting in broken homes, broken relationships, divorce, sickness, death, and all these things, and people are left with no longer any way to handle these things in a definitive way that gives them that hope and that sense of peace in their life. If it's not true, then I think my brothers and sisters in Christ and friends who are here today, you've lost the sense of reality. And I say that in the kindest way that I can. But yet the world is still searching for that blessed hope that they could have, that peace that is within, and they're looking in all of the wrong places. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, you know the verse well. Now abideth these three, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Now we know that love is something that is eternal in nature. God basically is love, as John told us. He is love, and that's something that will last throughout all eternity. That's something that we must have if we what? If we have the basis for what we really need in this life. That's what we need. Now faith and hope are a little bit different. They complement one another. They are so closely associated with one another because one cannot have faith without having hope and one cannot have hope without having faith. Now when Jesus comes again, as we're going to read from the scripture in a few moments, when Jesus comes again, our faith will be solidified, not that we don't already believe that he is whom he is and that he was resurrected and that he's coming again. And that hope will no longer be needed because that's what we're looking for. That's what we're working for. But that's where the answers of life are found. Years ago when I was a teenager here in Memphis, Tennessee, there was a great theme going out through the religious world. And the theme was Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. You can try every means, young people. You can try, well, we call it dope at my age. Dope was for dopes. Hadn't changed, really. 
You can try it in some type of substance that you take within your body, you'll not find it there. You can find it by getting a job and having all the things in this life, that is the things of this life, that you can conceive of that you want. You can have the greatest cell phone or electronic equipment or whatever they call that stuff that's made possible for man, although it changes every month, doesn't it? And you'll not be satisfied. You'll not have the hope that really sustains life itself. Now what is that hope that we're talking about? The brother read about it this morning. Is it possible for us to have that hope? And the Word of God describes for us that hope, and that's what I'd like for us to describe within ourselves this morning. Is it achievable? Can we have it? What will it do for us when we once get it? God has given us that anchor of the soul through Christ. If you will, turn to Romans 15, verse 13. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Here the Apostle Paul said to the church at Rome, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see the importance of that statement? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. God is the God of hope. He's the only God of hope. Because it is through our Father that He gave His Son to die upon the cross, that Jesus came and suffered and died upon the cross, that we may take part of a system that our brother read about this morning. And let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 6. For when God made a promise to Abraham, this is verse 13, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. When God made a promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, Genesis 22, verse 16. He swore by himself. And what did he swear by himself? He said, by, I'm swearing by myself, by my own name, by my own essence, that through you I will bless everyone. As it says in verse 14, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiply I will multiply you. Now we know that it is by two immutable things. That is, the oath that God made to Abraham and the promise that he made to Abraham that through your seed all nations of the earth would be blessed that we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God in position for us to gain that hope. He's there. It's because God swore by himself that I'm going to provide this for all people. That promise was made in Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 and other places in the text. What is that hope like? Well, we know one thing, it's universal in nature. That's why we're out in Africa and other places preaching and teaching the Word of God because we know that in order for people to have what can be available in Jesus Christ, the gospel must be preached. Look at Colossians 1 verse 27. Colossians 1 verse 27, To whom God was pleased to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us is the hope of glory, eternal glory, and it is eternal in nature. For it was Peter who said in 1 Peter 1 verse 13, Wherefore, girding up the loins of your mind, be sober and set your hope perfectly on the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is when we will realize the real essence of this promise of that great hope in Jesus Christ as the anchor of the soul. 
Now, one question you might be asking yourself, how do I get access to this? Now, you might say, well, I've already obeyed the gospel. That's great. You started the step to having that real hope. It is a part of the mind. It is a part of the spirit. It's a part of knowledge. That's why this morning I'm trying to give you the, more knowledge. All of you probably have some ideas to what I'm talking about anyway. But I'm trying to encourage you to see what is more available in Christ. Why do we need this? Because of the burdens of life. I tell you one thing, I could go right down this part right here and this part, any, any one of these parts of the audience, and I could ask what, each of you one after another, what is burdening you in this life? And probably the sum of this group and the sum of this group and all these groups that we might say there's four groups here this morning, you would basically come up with the same thing. And not a one of you would be able to tell me, and that includes these young people over here, that there's not burdens in life that we need to bear. Is that true? Yes, it's true. I'm standing before you with many burdens that I have to bear on a, a daily basis. I want to compare your life with the lives of the burdens of the third world. Because most of, our, most of the people of the world live in what is called the third world. It's a world that if we had an opportunity to look at ourselves and be a part of, which Edith and I, having lived in Africa for over 20 years, and we visit Africa now for a month to six weeks every year, having lived there, we understand the difference in the level of how they live versus how we live. And the hopelessness of some of the conditions that they suffer. When's the last time you had a pain of hunger? You might say, well, I got one now. I can't smell anything yet, but I know there's something back there for us to eat later. I'm talking about a real pain of hunger. I'm talking about how most of the people in the third world today are working every day so that they might put just one meal on their table. That's reality. We're not talking about something that it might be. We're talking about the reality of those who live in the third world all over this world. They have what we would consider to be absolutely nothing. What about the pains of hunger? I remember one time I was in Africa. And it was in West Africa. Edith and I were actually out on a mission trip and converting people there and, and several different places. And so we hadn't eaten at 12. We had no breakfast. We preached, or I preached. We hadn't eaten at 12. Pre more preaching, we hadn't eaten at 3. More preaching went on, and finally I asked my brother, who was Francis Wakez, I said, Francis, are we going to eat today? I'm hungry. He said, uh, brother, we're fasting for the Lord. I said, okay. And I continued to get hungry. We ate at 12 midnight. <laughs> When everyone was so worn out, they didn't want to hear any more preaching. They were ready to eat also. But what the sad fact is, I have literally seen my brothers in Christ standing in front of me, and they hadn't eaten for several days. Several days, why? Because they're lazy, no good for nothing people? No, because their crops didn't come that year. 
these are preachers of the gospel that we had trained in Zambia. Their crops had not come because there had been no rain. They had eaten everything that was available to eat. There were no chickens around. There was nothing around. They had eaten the fruit off of the trees. That one tree and that fruit taste terrible. I've tasted it before, but it's nutritional. They had dug the roots, what we call sassafras, and they had boiled those for the last thing that they could eat. And I met these brothers. Well, we were able to supply them with food and many other hundreds of Christians, but not near as many as we needed to. I've literally known brethren who have starved to death because they didn't have anything to eat. That's a burden, isn't it? Especially it's a burden when you see your children dying because they don't get anything to eat. The fear of death, they go through that all the time. Maybe as one of you brethren asked me several years ago, well, what do you need to do when you get over there in Africa? If you have an emergency, you just say, I'm coming home early, Lord. They take you to the hospital over there to die because in the hospital there's no medicines, there's no drips, there's no nothing. There's a few doctors maybe from China and they can't understand you and you can't understand them. So what do you do? When you get sick over there, you die. The average age in Zambia of every male man is every man who is a and he's a male, of course. <laughs> every man is 36 years. Average age. Why? Because they can't get the health care. They're not able to provide for their families because there are no jobs. There are superstitions going on all over the place, and these Christians are struggling to have that hope that is within Christ. That, those are the burdens that we share with people when we go to the third world. And it's terrible. Maybe that's one reason why the most favorite song over at the school in Zambia and also Uganda is burdens are lifted at Calvary. We access that great hope through what? Through the gospel. Ephesians 1, 18 through 20. If you want to, you can turn there. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to that working of the strength of his might, which he wrought in Christ, which he raised him from the dead, and made him to sit at the right hand of God in heavenly places or at the right hand in heavenly places. We're called by that gospel. We know that. We have access to that hope. And so that's why we struggle and we do our best to do everything that we can to take the gospel to the third world or to people outside of the United States also so that they can have that precious hope that is available to us in this life. Now let's talk about us. The outpouring of God's love toward us is clearly seen in how Christians bear the storms of life. And many of you could give many stories about how this came in our life, we were able to bear that burden. So whether it's a burden at church, whether that is in our assemblies together, whether it's a burden at home, whether it's a burden financially, whether it's a burden of sickness, whether it's death, persecution, whatever life has to offer, we are ready and we are able to bear that burden through Christ. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's true. 
But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can bear every burden, and the reason we can bear them is because we have access to that hope. And we know that even if everything in our life turns upside down and we leave this old world, there's something waiting on us which is so much better than what we have in this world. There's just no comparison. That's the difference. And that hope needs to be preached throughout this whole world. And we see this through the, our entire Christian life. I wonder how Paul was thinking about his life in 2 Corinthians 11 when he talked about all those things beginning in verse 23 that he had suffered in this life. He had suffered so much. And yet he was able to endure because of his relationship with Christ. For me to live is what? It's a blessed thing. But to, get, to die is what? To die is gain. Many of you knew my mother and my dad. They died within 15 days of each other, Abe and Cassie Sullins. You may, may remember them. I know the Sorrows do, and others, many of the leaders of this congregation know them well. It got to the point where they were ready to go on and die because they knew something was waiting on them beyond this life. Now, what these young people over here are going to say is, well, that's a long way off. Really? See, we know not what shall be on the morrow. How many of your young people, the associates that you have who are young people, have you heard of who have passed from this life and no one thought that was going to happen? Just recently in the Springfield area, four young people died right outside of Springfield. Now someone was driving and we're not sure if drugs were involved or alcohol, it really doesn't make any difference. Four young people passed from this life just like that and probably without hope. That's why you need to maintain your relationship with God. For you know not what shall be on the morrow. You do not know when you're going to die and leave this old world. And that's why we all need to keep prepared. That hope is for us. It is available to us in every way. In Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23, or 22 and 23. Here the writer of Hebrews said this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let's hold fast the profession of our hope. If there's anything that I wanted to do with this lesson today, is to, get you to, is to remind you and to encourage you to focus on that hope that is found within Christ because it will lead you through the trials and tribulations of this life. It and only it will. The rest of it is folly. So what's going to be your decision? If you're not a Christian, the only hope that is available for you that is lasting and sustainable is the one that we've been talking about this morning. That is the hope that is found within Christ. It was Jesus who came to this earth to die upon the cross to shed his blood so that you might have that, that assurance that is within him. Well, there are conditions upon what, on, that Jesus has placed upon your accessing that 
hope through the gospel. Now you might say, well, I have no problem. I, I believe that Jesus is a Christ. There's enough historical evidence and the Bible shows us clearly that that's true and I believe that the Bible is the word of God. So you're on your way to making that great decision to repent of your sins. For Jesus said, if you want to be saved, you've got to repent. Repent or perish, he said, Luke 13, 3. The apostles taught it from day one when the church began, Acts 2, 38. Repent and be baptized. You can't come to Christ unless you repent, and that's a change of mind that brings about a change of, of the will that brings about a change of life. You've got to decide that I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to be faithful until I pass from this old world. And I know that that hope will be available for me throughout this life and will be fulfilled when Jesus comes again at his second coming. You need to confess that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus said do that. And you need to be baptized. A young man walked up to my house the other day and he was wanting to sell me Mediacom. That's what they call it up there. Well, I can't take Mediacom because we just got direct. So there's no way I could switch it over. He said, oh, you're a member of the Church of Christ. Because he found out I was a missionary and asked me where I went to services and what I did. You are the folks that, that believe that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. I said, well, since you mentioned it, we do. He said, do you have a verse for that? I said, I certainly do. 1 Peter 3.21, the like figure wherein to even baptism does also now save us. He said, oh. And then I proceeded to teach him more, and it was a nice and wonderful conversation. But what I was trying to tell him is you need to drop the tenets of what you've been taught. You need to believe in what Jesus has said, and you need to obey the gospel. Not your parents, not your grandparents, not what your pastor or whomever it may be, or your priest or catechism or doctrine, whatever. You need to believe what Jesus said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. And then live that faithful life. And you'll see, maybe sooner than later, what it really means to have hope in Christ. You'll experience it immediately in the life change that will take place in your life. If you're a Christian and you need to respond this morning, we welcome you to come so that you can have uh, prayers with you and for you on your behalf so that you can rid yourself of any sin that might be in your life. But maybe there's something, some help that you need. And so share that with us. We're all a family. We need to pray with one another about many other things than just because of our sin. And so you're welcome to come at this invitation. Will you come as we, together we stand and sing?